Oh God, one more time with this life. But it's our lives that we're concerned about. So make it clear, please, make it clear through Christ our Lord. We pray in his name. Amen. Years ago, Roger Whitaker wrote a rather bittersweet love song entitled, First Hello, Last Goodbye. Let me read a line or two from this song. They, they say when you gain a lover, you begin to lose a friend, that the end of the beginning's the beginning of the end. They say the moment that you're born is when you start to die, and the first time that we said hello began our last goodbye. We know each summer's coming means that winter's waiting there, and gold would not be precious if we all had gold to spare. You only know how low is low the first time that you fly, and the first time that we said hello began our last goodbye. When they begin the overture, they start to end the show. When you said, I'll never leave you, then I knew that you would go. The sound of all our laughter is now echoed in a sigh. And the first time that we said hello began our last goodbye. My friend Bill Knott, editor of the Adventist Review, those two boys happened to be sitting on the front row. They had no idea this was coming. So he tells a story in a recent editorial about he's, he's flying home. And it's one of those trips. He's tired. I mean, he, he, he is fatigued. And anybody who travels knows there are those moments when you say, Dear Lord, I don't want to sit by anybody who talks. Please deliver me. Today, Bill is in luck. And I'll let him tell the story. This appeared last month as an editorial in the Adventist Review. The figure beside me in the middle seat was all of stone, a silent 30-something traveler whose three-day stubble suggested he was in it for the long haul. The signs of insularity were obvious. Stay out of my world. Bose headphones wrapped around his head, eyes deeply closed, arms tightly folded on his chest. There would be no conversations with the traveler in 9B. And I'll admit to being glad in a completely I'm-too-tired-to-share-my-testimony kind of way. Now, somewhere over Nevada, here we go. Somewhere over Nevada, the traveler in 9B stirred, roused to sentience by some inner restlessness or the memory of a task forgotten. Soon he was fingering a cell phone, composing a long email on his iPhone 6. He leaned into his task as though protecting the words he typed on his small screen from prying eyes. I hadn't meant to look, not really. Yeah, right, Bill. <laughs> I, I hadn't meant to look, not really. And all I saw in lines of text were five words in stark Helvetica. Jill and I are separating. Chagrin for having witlessly invaded such a private moment, I settled back against the headrest and closed my eyes, promising to keep my gaze directly in front of me from now on. Jill and I are separating. The words floated across the dark screen in my imagination. Was this, in fact, the decisive trip now taking my seatmate away from a pledged lifetime of fidelity and love? To which friends or family was he breaking this awful news through the cool, dispassionate medium of text? What feelings must be roiling in the man who had to write such words at 30,000 feet? Jill and I are separating. Because it's true. 
The first time that we said hello began our last goodbye. It's one of life's bitter secrets. That is no secret at all. The utter transience of the closest relationships we have. Transience. Not just because there's separation and divorce, not just because there's infidelity and adultery. Come on, even our children grow up and move away. Even our friends pack up and move away. Why even death? The great separator. Before we've even had a chance to say goodbye, she's gone. Not that we didn't know this moment was coming. After all, the first time we said hello, we knew, began our last goodbye. And so for all of us who still have our last goodbye in front of us, on this last Sabbath of a semester on the campus of this university, for all of us, a single word of hope, a single word six words long, a word of hope, which is why we end with it. Open your Bible to the last chapter in the book of Genesis, the last chapter in the life of Joseph and his amazing technicolor dream coat. Genesis chapter 50, whatever translation you have. It's fine by me. Don't have a translation or anything to read off of, pull it out. Last chapter is in the Bible, in, in, the, in your pew rack. Pull out that Bible, it would be page 37. Genesis chapter 50, I'm in the NIV. Genesis 50, verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, hit the pause button right there, Jacob has died. But, hallelujah, not before First, having the unbelievably unexpected, unfettered joy of living out the last 17 years of his life with the boy for whom he sewed that coat of many colors. Wow! 22 years ago, his heart rent forever. Cruel death of his son as he cries out, Joseph, my son is dead. Twenty-two years later, his life resuscitated when the word comes to him, Joseph, my son is alive. And then 17 blissful years living next door to the prime minister of Egypt. Doesn't get any better than that. But you can't live forever. And now Father Jacob has died. In fact, let me show it to you. He, he, he dies on the last page just before this. This is chapter 49, drop down to verse 33. Here, here's Jacob dying. And when Jacob had finished giving instructions to his sons, all 12 boys are there. When he finished giving instructions to his sons, he drew his feet up into the bed, breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. Now keep reading. And Joseph threw himself on his father and wept over him and kissed him. I remember when my father died. I just spent a week with him, Banning, California. I've been home a week. Mother called Saturday night. He's deteriorating much faster than anybody expected. I immediately began to pack. Two hours later, she called. She says, Daddy's dead. Got a plane ticket early Sunday morning, South Bend, a flight to Ontario, California. 
met at the airport by my brother, Greg, and my sister, Carrie. They drive me to the mortuary. We go into the room, and there is Dad, still in his pajamas. I walk up to that man. I need you to know that my dad was my hero. I wanted to be like Dad. I wanted to preach like Dad. Walked up to him. He looked like he was asleep. I'm telling you the truth. It was like he was asleep. I put my hands on his face, still warm. I was surprised, still warm. And I leaned over, and I kissed my father. Some of you know. You know exactly the routine of saying goodbye in death. You have done it too. That last kiss. The first time that we said hello began our last goodbye. It's over. Jacob's dead. Back to verse 15 now in, in chapter 50. Verse 15, and when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead... They said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So, verse 16, they sent word to Joseph. So, so a messenger comes saying, your father left these instructions before he died. There is no record in the book of Genesis that Jacob ever said such a thing. The boys, it all comes back. They're afraid. They come up with this little ruse. Daddy said to tell you. They sent word to Joseph, verse 16, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you, this is supposedly the father speaking, Jacob, I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now the boys go on through the messenger. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. And when their message came to him, Joseph wept. He sobs. He's disappointed. He's hurt. I've spent 17 years pouring my life and my love into you, the whole tribe. What am I, some sort of Dr. Jekyll that now turns evil and I'm going to destroy you? He weeps. You don't know me. And then the brothers come. Verse 18, and his brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. The dream comes true again. Wow. But Joseph, verse 19, Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You, look, we, we, we all agree. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. I want you to read that in the New Jerusalem Bible. Powerfully rendered. You have to grab your study guide to do it. Reach into your worship bulletin now. The last study guide in this little mini-series. Please pull it out. Ushers, where are you? Let's make sure that everybody here has a study guide. And hold your hand up if you didn't get the study guide. We'll come to you up in the balcony as well. And those of you watching, we're delighted to have you for the final piece, a little five-part mini-series to end the school year here at Andrews University. Go to our website. Put it on the screen for you right now. www.pmchurch.tv.tv. You go there, you'll find this little mini-series, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. And the teaching, the final piece 
that you see there is lingerie. We'll get to those two French words in just a moment. All right? And it says study guide. Click on there. You'll have the same study guide. Keep your hands up. They're coming your way up in the balcony as well. But I'm going to go. Let's go. Genesis chapter 50. This would be verse 20 from the New Jerusalem Bible. Jot it down. The evil you plan to do to me has by God's design been turned to good. I love that. The evil. You meant it for evil, but God has turned it into good. That's a key point. In fact, you know what? That, that line sounds as if it were straight out of the New Testament. Turns out it is. It's that beloved line tucked away in Romans chapter 8. So keep your finger here. We might come back. We may not. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, because I want you to see this in your own Bible. It'll be on the screen, but see it in your own Bible. If you don't have these words marked, circle this little text because this is a classic. How many people have memorized this? Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Almost an immortal line from the Apostle Paul, Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Man, Romans 8.28, can you believe that? In fact, it's even more powerful, powerfully rendered in the New Living Translation. You need to fill it in in your study guide. And we know, jot it down, and we know that God causes everything, everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. Yeah, but Paul, 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 time out, time out. Does everything really mean everything? I mean, you know, Jill and I are separated. Is that everything? Apparently. I was visiting with a young man the other day in my office. He's in tears. I said, what are you crying about? She said, he said she wants a divorce. I said, she does not. He said, she does. And the tears were, the tears were the truth. His tears were the truth. Is that everything? Divorce? God causes everything to work together for good? And by the way, please, 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 please do not misread this text. It does not read, and God declares that everything is good. Death is not good. It's evil. Divorce is not good. Cancer is not good. Your life collapsing is not good. It's bad. It's evil. In fact, Jesus one time exclaimed, an enemy, an enemy has done this to you. An enemy. Thomas Schreiner, writing about Romans 8.28. I'll put his words on the screen. You need to fill it in. Look at this. The text does not say that all things are intrinsically good or pleasant but instead that the most agonizing sufferings and evils inflicted on believers, that would be those who trust in God, will be turned, write that word in, will be turned, turned to their good by God. It is correct to say then that agathon, which is the Greek word for good, is eschatological. It means it has to do with last things. Since the good will be evident and fully realized only at the end of time. In other words... It may be a good long while before anything turns good. That's the point. We all know of relationships. 
that have gone through a horrendous meltdown. And one of the spouses has had to endure on in long and difficult survival, sometimes alone, totally alone. It may not happen overnight, that good that God has promised, but He's working it. He's working it for your good. John R.W. Stott, the great 20th century English preacher in London, pastor and preacher, he comments on the same text. Here are his words on the screen. Thus, all that is negative in this life is seen to have a positive purpose in the execution of God's eternal plan. Nothing, write that down, nothing is beyond the overruling, overriding scope of God's providence. We do not always understand what God is doing, let alone welcome it, nor are we told that He's at work for our comfort, but we know that in all things He is working towards our supreme good. You've got to write that down, supreme good. That's where He's going, in my life and yours, towards our supreme good which is precisely what, what Joseph is trying to, to, to console his brothers with that very thought. Look, I understand. You meant it for evil, but God has turned it for good. It took years and years. But through all those long years, ten years as a slave to Potiphar, three years in that subterranean dungeon, seven years of plenty, seven years of famine, God is slowly, mysteriously, providentially at work unfolding His plan to save not only Joseph and Egypt, but a people. It takes time. Wouldn't it be glorious? I think it'd be wonderful if we could, if we could just say, okay, I want to see my whole lifespan with one glance. Wouldn't it be great to be able to see the end from the beginning? I see it all. I know it, just like God. Fact is, we don't have that luxury, do we? Imagine my surprise to learn from uh, Gerald Klingbeil, also an editor, associate editor with the Adventist Review. I'm just wondering, is this, is, was this supposed to be Adventist Review promotion, Sabbath? Is that why you guys are on the second row? I mean, what's up with this? How did I get this? I got two of them. So anyway, uh, Gerald is, is, is discussing a French school of thought, late second half of the 20th century. Philosophers, historians, they, get, they got together, these Frenchmen, and they said, you know what, the problem, the, the journalists and chroniclers, they deal with this little compartmentalized event here, next, 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 kind of the sequential little events. We need to take the long look. And they came up with two French words for that long look. They called their school the longere. The longere. I had to work with Pastor Sabine, who grew up in Montreal. She's on our staff now. She speaks fluent French. So yesterday she gave me a crash course in French for just two words. I've really been working on that. Longere. Sounds like lingerie. <laughs> that's just that's the way it sounds. Anyway, their strategy is we need, and in English it means long term, long, long duration, long span. So they set up a whole school of thought focusing on that. Guess what? The Bible, the Bible has had that school of thought from the beginning. The whole purpose of the Bible is to give us a long view. We see the end from the beginning. Wow. And how many times do we want to stop in the, in the story of Joseph? Yo, Joe, do not, do not listen to Mrs. Potiphar now. She's going to kill you. She will kill you. Say no. Say no. Say no. Whew, he says no. Because, hey, we know how the story ends. We have the long view. The Bible gives us the long view. 
God is actually using every one of our setbacks today. Some of you in the midst of a crisis right now, I know it. I happen to personally know it. You are in the midst of a crisis right now, and it seems like there is no way out of this tunnel. God has a long view that goes through that tunnel. There's something beyond the tunnel. You have to believe that. There is something beyond this tunnel. The long view. Longere. Did you ever notice how in the story of Joseph... No matter what Lucifer keeps hurling at this friend of Jesus, this friend of God, did you notice how God keeps tweaking? He keeps turning it. He keeps transforming it. Every move of Lucifer. I mean, you think about it. Oh, by the way, Joseph never saw it. Joseph never saw it. We are not supposed to see God at work. We are supposed to trust God at work. And he was at work. Because Lucifer spews this awful, this, this green envy in the hearts of Joseph's brothers. And they say, sell the kid. They sell him to Egypt. And God says, you go, Lucifer. I needed to get him to Egypt. You just made my job easier. Lucifer's ticked. When he gets to Egypt, he says, all right, you'll be sorry for this. I'm going to give him a cruel taskmaster. Now, I'm going to get him into Potiphar's home. And God says, you did it. I needed him in a home of high society so that he would hang around politicians and get a feel for how the kingdom is run. Good job, Lucifer. Thank you. <laughs> Lucifer is furious now, but he watches with alarm as this young 17-year-old begins to advance every step, advance higher, higher, higher. He says, I'm going to stop this advance. And he vomits all over Joseph, Mrs. Potiphar. And God says, you... Oh, Lucifer, I needed him in prison. I've got two of, I have two of, of Pharaoh's, I have two of Pharaoh's officials are going to be in that jail in just a few days. I need Joseph there. Thank you. Lucifer says, that's it. And guess what? Joseph, by the way, interprets their dreams. Lucifer says, well, I'll deal with that. I'm going to make that butler forget all about him. And the butler does. And God says, bless you, Lucifer. I didn't want him out now anyway. Check, check me, check, check me, check, check me, check, check. I win. No matter what move you give me, Lucifer, I win every time. Bring it on. Give me your next move. Checkmate. What's You got to send better? Checkmate. That's what's happening in the story of Joseph, and we need to remember that because some of you are going through a crisis right now, the worst crisis in your life. And you can't see at the end of this tunnel. But there is a God on the throne of this universe who is watching you carefully and is making every move for you. Poor Lucifer. Plays into God's creative omnipotence. In fact, I want to put this on the screen. I want to put this on the screen. Look at, look, look at this. God's omnipotent creativity... I wish you'd write this down in the margin because this, this is not in your study guide. God's omnipotent creativity and God's creative omnipotence. This is the truth of the God of Joseph. You're looking at the truth of the God of Joseph. He has, he has omnipotent creativity. I don't care what you give me. He has creative omnipotence. I don't care how tough it is. I can, I can deal with this. Give it to me. Give it to me. It's the God of Joseph. Because when the fullness of time does arrive... Pharaoh does have a dream, 
And the butler does remember the Hebrew slave. And in literally less than 12 hours, the Hebrew slave does in less than 12 hours ascend to the second highest position of the empire. Literally, overnight. Why can God do it? Oh, because I am El Shaddai, the God of your father Jacob. I want you to see this. El Shaddai. Back to Genesis chapter, what is it, chapter 48? I think it's verse 3. Nothing on the screen for you on this one. Genesis 48, 3, Jacob and Joseph are talking. And Jacob says in verse 3 of Genesis 48, Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me back in the land of Canaan. And you see the modern translations footnote it. That's El Shaddai, the all-powerful one, God Almighty. And when El Shaddai speaks, listen, when El Shaddai speaks, he always has the last word, and his last word is six words long. Write them down right now. Never for the rest of your life. You're getting ready to graduate? Never for the rest of your life. You're moving into the, the end zone of your life? Never for the rest of your life. Forget these six words. Jot them down. No matter what happens to you in this life, remember that God's last word is this, I can get there from here. I don't care what has happened in your childhood. I don't care what's been going on in your schooling. Doesn't matter. I don't care what's happened in your marriage. I don't care what's happened in your job or the lack thereof or the loss thereof. I don't care what's happening in your body right now. It doesn't matter what's happening in your life right now. I can get there from here. Here, here is the suffering that you are enduring right now. And there is where God's ultimate will for you will take you. I can get there from here. Which being interpreted means jot it down. God can turn the worst for you into the best for you. The worst becomes the best in the hand of God. Keep reading. Keep writing. God can get from your here to his there. No matter where your here might be, keep writing, for he is El Shaddai, the almighty God of Jacob and Joseph and Jesus. I can get there from here. Wow. The six last words of God echoed in the seven last words of Jesus on the cross. There it is again. Jesus and Joseph tracking side by side through their twin stories. There it is again. Because at the cross, I remind you, come on, you forgot Calvary. At the cross, Lucifer thrust his diabolical and most hellish worst straight into the heart of God, broke God's heart, and killed El Shaddai. But again... As he has always done, he overplays his hand. And in killing El Shaddai, he raised up the Savior of the human race. Check. Gotcha. For the last time, gotcha. You lose. I win. I can get there. From here, jot it down, will you? In the suffering death of Jesus, God took the worst of the very worst and turned it into the best of the very best. I can get there from 
here. No wonder this promise reads the way it does. Ellen White, words on the screen, all that has perplexed us. Oh, I love this. All that has perplexed us in the providences of God will in the world to come be made plain. I don't understand what's happening to me. You may not. But when I come, you will. All will be made plain. Things hard to be understood will then find explanation. Keep reading. The mysteries of grace will unfold before us. Where our finite minds discovered only confusion and broken promises, we shall see the most perfect and beautiful harmony. Wow. We shall know that infinite love ordered the experiences that seem most trying as we realize the tender care of Him who makes all things work together for our good. We shall rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory." End quote. I can get there from here. For I remind you, even when you're dead, He can get there from here, even when you're dead. I end with the words of Walter Brueggemann in his book, Prophetic Imagination. My friend Ranko, when we went to Serbia together over spring break, loaned me his book. This, this is worth the whole sermon for this last line. Here it is. Walter Brueggemann, the brilliant. He writes, The riddle and insight of biblical faith is that only anguish leads to life, only grieving leads to joy, and only embraced endings permit new beginnings. End quote. That was true for Joseph. That was true for Jesus. And that will be true for you. Amen. And amen. Let us pray. Oh God, God of Joseph, Lord of Calvary, thank you. We needed to know this truth that you can get there from right here, right now. And so, oh, Father, please, do whatever it takes from here to there. And while your head is still bowed in prayer, We'll finish the prayer in just a moment, but I wish to speak to those of you who are in transit right now in crisis. Nothing has caught God by surprise. Not in your marriage, not in your health, not in your academic career. Nothing has caught Him by surprise, and you can trust Him with a raw and naked faith just like Joseph, just like Jesus. Graduate, don't you wish the picture were clear where you go after you walk down this aisle for the last time a week from tomorrow? It's not clear to you, but it's clear to the God who walks with you. You can get there from here. Stay with Him. Stay beside Him. He will get you there. And when he wins, you win. 
you win. So for all of us, a call to trust in the one who only is fully trustworthy. Oh God, all our hearts, please, the gift of that trust for the rest of this journey through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.